in him. And so we come to today's passage, which is Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. So again, I'll give you a minute to turn there in your own Bibles at home. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. So you can open that up in another window. Uh, or open up in your Bible, and Leah is going to read this for us. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join us in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his generous body, glorious body, not generous, his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I uh, thank, thank you, Leah. So we can't figure out why the camera is doing what it's doing, but we're just going to press on. So, um, so we've got some of your answers on what you thought was the um, what was the answer to the question I posed at the beginning of the sermon. When leaving seminary surveyed its graduates to discover where it might better address any deficiencies in a program. The questionnaire asked the alumni to identify one area in which they wish they had received better instruction. What was that area? So, some of the answers, Josh, Josh could you read us that, that top answer that you were showing me? Video conferencing. <laughs> I think it was from Chris Martens. Yep. Yes, video conferencing. That was not one of the classes that I took in seminary. What were some of the other ones, Joshua? Church conflicts, tech skills, counseling, perseverance, how to deal with money, conflict, and building community. Okay, so there's some good things there. Again, conflict, building community. Um, tech skills, video conferencing. Again, these are all great guesses. But interestingly, the answer that these seminary graduates gave after four, three to four years of systematic theology, Bible exposition, church history, original languages, the one area that they identified was, how do I live the Christian life? How do I live the Christian life? Because, friends, no matter how much Bible a Christian has been taught, we all wrestle with how we put that into practice. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a brand new Christian or if you have a seminary degree, we all struggle to implement biblical truth in our daily lives. No one is exempt from this challenge. And Paul here says, I want to live the Christian life. I want to live my life to know Christ, to gain Christ, to be found in Christ. I want to follow him and be his disciple. But how? And as those seminary students asked, how do I live the Christian life? And you're probably asking that same question too at times. How do I live the Christian life? So Paul says he wants to live to know Christ, gain Christ, be found in Christ. How do we do that? 
How do I follow Jesus as his disciple? And that's what Paul is writing about in the section that Leah just read for us. Because we hear Paul say, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I want to know Christ fully. I want to gain Christ completely. I want to be found in Christ perfectly. But I'm not there yet. So I press on. You know, friends, we all want to skip to the end. You know, you and I, we all want the killer beach body, but we don't want to diet or exercise. We all want to have the great retirement account, but we don't want to save. We all want the A, but we don't want to study. You know, when we watch a movie, what happens? All the hard work, the training, the exercise, the pain, the sacrifice, the pressing on, it's compressed into a short and a pithy training montage that's set to some kind of an awesome soundtrack. But there is no training montage in real life. You know, we can watch our sports heroes think the shot, make the catch, break the record, but what we don't see are the hours and hours and hours of work on the field, at practice, and in daily discipline. Because you see, friends, there is no skipping to the end. There are no training montages in life. We must press on, and pressing on is a choice. You see, we don't drift into pressing on. You know that you don't just drift into physical fitness. You don't just drift into a clean house. I mean, imagine standing at the finish line of a marathon and asking one of the finishers, so how did you do it? And and she's like, well, you know, I just kind of ended up here. You don't drift to the end of a marathon. You know, you never hear from someone who just released his first book, how did you get the book written? I just just kind of wrote it. You don't just drift into writing a book. You know, maybe you want to share in the comments something difficult that you pressed on and you chose to do. Something that you committed yourself to and were able to accomplish. Because the truth is, we don't drift into any of those things, whether it's running a marathon, whether it's writing a book, or whether it's cleaning our house. We don't just drift into those things. Because pressing on is a choice. And friends, from those of us that have accomplished things in our lives, which is all of us, We know that those things we accomplished, it wasn't just a one-time choice. It was a daily choice. You don't just drift into it. You choose it. Living the Christian life is not instant. It's progressive. Following Jesus is not a destination, but a direction. You might remember that the Apostle Paul wrote just a few sentences into this letter that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's Philippians 1.6. We won't fully, completely know, gain, or be found in Christ until the day that Jesus returns and makes all things new. And so until that day, we must choose to press on. As Paul says, forgetting what's behind, straining forward to what's ahead, press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Jesus Christ. Now again, just to make clear, and we've talked about this before, but to reiterate, because this is so important, this isn't to say that we work to earn our salvation. It's not to say that if we work hard enough, we might somehow, sometime merit and earn and deserve God's favor or forge a relationship with Him. The gospel, the good news, is that salvation is by grace. It's a gift of God. As we follow Jesus, we work out the salvation that His grace has worked in. You might remember that we read in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we can't work for, work in, or work up our salvation, but with God at work in us, we can work out what grace has worked in. 
We can press on to follow Jesus, to know Him, to gain Him, and to be found in Him. So the Gospel is that salvation is by grace. It's God's gift to us, and we're simply working out what He worked in. Or, as we read today in verse 12, I press on to make it my own, because Jesus Christ has made me His own. Or down in verse 16, only let us hold true to what we've attained. You see, friends, Jesus has made me his own. This is the gospel. This is the good news. By grace, by no merit of my own, Jesus has made me his own. And friends, maybe you've tuned in today, and God tuned you in today, just to see the frozen frame picture that's on the screen, but to hear this truth, that Jesus has made you his own by grace. By grace, he wants to make you his own. By grace, he wants to adopt you into his family. By grace, he wants you to belong to him because of his great love. And friends, maybe God tuned you into this stream for no other reason than to see a frozen frame in front of you and to hear the truth that Jesus has made you and wants to make you his own. And if this is the reason why he had you tune in, I hope that you'll contact me and after that, I'll tell you how to after the sermon, because I would love to be in touch with you and to share with you this good news that Jesus wants to make you his own. But for recognizing that Jesus by faith has made us his own, we now choose to press on to hold true, to live up to, to work out what Jesus by grace has attained for us. We must daily choose to press on, to work out by his power what his grace has worked into us. We must choose to press on. So friends, when you're tired, press on. When you're discouraged, press on. When you fail, press on. When you succeed, press on. When you suffer, press on. When you get what you want, press on. In the midst of pandemic, press on. And when there is peace, press on. Friends, if the suspension of our Sunday morning services and other large group gatherings means your spiritual progress has ground to a halt, there's something wrong. If your spiritual life has come to a standstill during this pandemic, it's time for you to choose and to press on. Yes, maybe without the encouragement of our regular physical gatherings, things have slowed down some, but if your spiritual journey has essentially stopped, then there's a problem. Friends, it's not about perfection. It's about progress. It's not about perfection, it's about direction. We can't stand still. We have to choose to press on towards Him, to make Him our own, to live up to what we've already attained. Friends, they don't need to be great steps, but are there baby steps? Is there any effort being made, any attention being given, any sacrifice being chosen? Paul holds himself and other leaders up as an example of pressing on. He says we're not perfect, but we're progressing. We choose to press on. And will you? So, tech team, does anyone happen to share any examples of things they pressed on in and chosen to do? We motherhood. Motherhood. That's a huge one where every day you choose to press on. Yes. Fatherhood. Or fatherhood's another one. So. How many experience? We have people that have written books. No, no, we have people amongst us that have written books, people that have accomplished great physical feats, people that have musical feats. Um, again, but it's about pressing on. You Maybe don't some drift. Yeah. You don't drift into these things. Friends, you must press on. And so pressing on is a choice. You're not going to drift into opening your Bible regularly. You're not going to drift into prayer. You're not going to drift into serving. You're not going to drift into confession. 
You're not going to drift into repentance. You will not drift into meeting, even if it is virtual. No one drifts into pressing on. Friends, it needs to be chosen. And so the first thing that Paul asks us is, will you choose? Will you choose to press on? Paul writes that pressing on is not only about choice, but it's also going to be a challenge. Consider the warning that we find in verses 18 through 19. It says, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, with their minds set on earthly things. So, pressing on, following Christ, to live a Christian life is going to challenge your other gods, glories, and goods in your life. To follow Christ will challenge your other gods, glories, and goods. They've got to be sacrificed if we are to press on and to follow Jesus. Now, Paul says that some have become enemies of the cross. They've stopped pressing on after Jesus. Instead, they're pressing on after the God of their belly. They're pursuing their appetites, their desires, their wants, their comfort. And some have come to glory in the wrong things, it says, celebrating and seeking things that are shameful. And more have set their minds on the wrong goods, choosing things and values of this earth over the goods of Jesus Christ. And the question for us, friends, is when your desire conflicts with God's desire, who wins? When God's word says one thing and your belly or your body say another, who wins? When God's word says one thing and your culture or your cravings say another, who wins? When the good things of this world conflict with the good that's revealed in God's word, who wins? Because that is your God. There's a challenge. Many today have elevated human desire or cultural norm to the level of God. Many today say the God of the belly, of the human desire, or of the majority is God over the God who created the belly and who created all things. And Paul says to do that, it's to walk as an enemy of the cross. Because you can't serve both God and money. You can't serve both God and popularity. You can't serve both God and self-determination. You can't serve both God and self-righteousness. You can't serve both God and personal comfort. And you cannot serve both God and self-defined anything goes sexuality. Pressing on and following Jesus will challenge our God's our glories, and our goods. Friends, which of your gods does it challenge today? And will you choose to press on anyway? So following Jesus, living the Christian life is about pressing on. It's about choosing. It's about challenging. And finally, Paul writes that it's about citizenship. Paul writes in verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. Paul says that living the Christian life, following Jesus as his disciple, is to become a citizen of a new country. I'd love to know if there's anyone listening who's become a citizen of a new country how, and how long ago that happened. So again, you could throw that in the chat as well. I'd love to know if, uh, if there's anyone here who's become a citizen of a new country and how long ago that was. When you became a citizen of a new country, what happens? You had to take a test. You, you studied, you took a test about the history, the laws, the responsibilities, the culture of your new country. You know, so I, I am preparing this. I went online, I found a practice citizenship test for the United States. And after I absolutely bungled the first question, which I should have known, I did manage to answer the other 19 questions correctly. But when you become a citizen of a new country, you work and you study that you might live well as a citizen of your new land, according to its laws, its customs, its culture, and its expectations. And Paul says the Christian life is the same way. 
in becoming a Christian, you become a citizen of a new country. And you need to learn the history, the laws, the language, the customs, and the culture of that land that you might live as good citizens. So even as we dwell in this foreign land, even as we sojourn through this life, Paul says the Christian life is learning to live as citizens of your new country and representing that country well in this foreign land. Friends, most importantly, living as citizens of the new land means we live as citizens under a new authority, under a new king. You know, if your citizenship changes, you no longer live under the authority of your old land. You subject yourself to a new authority, to a new king. And Paul reminds us in verse 21 that Jesus has been given the authority to subject all things to himself. Jesus' authority is ultimate. Over my desires, over the shifting culture, over all other powers, the Christian life is about living as citizens under Christ's authority. So even as we sojourn through this life filled with other so-called gods, even as we experience the pull of our own personal desires, even as we, choose, we, we will choose to press on as citizens of Christ's kingdom. Do we get any comments there about people becoming citizens of a new country in the chat? No, there's been back and forth about how, you know, still no one can see the... Uh, <laughs> still no one can see us! I know, I'm sorry! So, I might have a way to fix that before we get to the end. So we'll wait until we get to the end of this message, and I've thought of an alternative. But, let's, plug it and play it back in. let's <laughs> shut it off and turn it back on. That's what I always tell my kids. Again, there was no seminary class on this. <laughs> so Paul's answering this question, how do I press on and live the Christian life, saying, friends, we need to choose daily, because we're not going to drift into pressing on. We need to invite the challenge to other God's glories and goods, and we need to learn to live as citizens submitted to the King. Choose, challenge, and citizens. Friends, in this time of scattering and forced isolation, how are you going to choose to press on? And I want to offer you one very practical tool to use together. You know, studies have shown that if you make a commitment to do something, and you don't do it within 72 hours, it's just not going to happen. You know, statements like, oh, I'll get around to it. Or, I'll wait till I'm feeling inspired. Or, if God wants it to happen, it'll happen in His time. Or, I'm waiting for this conversation or that opportunity just to happen organically. You know, all that stuff sounds really spiritual, but the truth is, it's just drifting. And friends, we are never, ever, ever going to drift into obedience. We will never drift into pressing on after Jesus. You know, we would all prefer to leave ourselves that indefinite open window rather than set a time frame on something because when we set a time frame, the pressure is on and 72 hours has been shown by studies to be a magic number. And more than that, all the data shows that the more specific you are in what you're going to do, the more likely you are to do it. So here's a tool for you to use in response to this sermon or in response to a Bible passage that you've read. Okay. Thank you. Um, here's, a, here's a tool that you could use in response to a sermon or response to a Bible passage you've read. Um, in the next 72 hours, what will you do or start doing in light of the sermon, this scripture, this prayer? In 72 hours, what will you do in light of this sermon? And, and do it in the form of an I will statement. For example, I will do this action at this time in this location. I will do this action at this time in this location. For example, I will read three chapters of John's Gospel 6 a.m. tomorrow morning at my kitchen table. Or, I will take ten minutes to pray for the church prayer requests during lunch on Tuesday. 
or I will call my neighbor at 2 p.m. this afternoon to see if there's anything she needs and to offer to pray for her. You see, making it tangible and practical like that and within the next 72 hours makes it far more likely that you're going to do it. It's a practical tool that can help you press on. In the next 72 hours, I will do this action at this time in this location. And then if you really want to make it stick, and afterwards, I'll tell this person what I learned from my reading. Or I will ask this person to actually pray with me. Or I will ask this person to follow up and hold me accountable to my commitment. We're far more likely to follow through if we know somebody else is going to follow up with us. This is why we have discipleship groups. This is why we need one another. Because it's easier for you and I to press on after Jesus together. So friends, as you press on to follow Jesus in the next 72 hours, what will you do, at what time, in what location, and with whom will you follow up? You know, you're welcome if you want to post some responses to that in the chat. Um, It might be an encouragement to you to do it, and it might be an encouragement to others as it stimulates their own thinking. But don't let just posting something in the chat be a real replacement for direct and personal relationship with others. So friends, as Paul encourages us, let's encourage one another to press on, to daily choose, to invite the challenge, to live as citizens. Because this is what it means to live a Christian life. This is what it means to follow as Jesus' disciple. So practically, in the next 72 hours, what will you do, at what time, and in what location, and with whom will you follow up? How will you practically choose this week to press on? And asking that, let's pray together. God, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would help us to press on, help us to follow you, help us to choose you daily, help us, Father, to help us to follow you closely, help us to invite the challenge to the other gods in our lives, help us to live as citizens of your kingdom. And help us, Lord, to do so not in our own strength, but in the strength of Jesus Christ at work within us. In his name we pray. Amen.